aka Fantasy Freaks. This is your leader, Christian Michael. Today is September 11th, 2018, and we're just finishing up week one of the NFL season. Um, guys, it's a great week. It's a, kind of a relief, but super exciting at the same time that we finally made it to this point, and we've completely wrapped up week one. Um, if you watched that stinker last night of Detroit and the Jets, uh, really sloppy. Apparently, the Jets were stealing signals from the Detroit sidelines. Um, I think it's all fair game, in my opinion. If they really are using the same sort of hand signals that they that they were using in preseason. Uh, the last week of preseason, then that's their fault. They're stupid. And uh, Matt Patricia needs to know that that's not a winning formula. You need to switch up your hand signals pretty much every game because teams are going to look at their tape. And if it's on there and it's not a spygate situation, then it's perfectly fair game. Um, so today I wanted to do where I was right and where I was wrong. A lot of uh, fantasy analysis... These guys just kind of hide behind where they were wrong, and they really uh, just want to talk about how right they are. Uh, I'm not going to name any names, but there's guys that have uh, running backs endorsing their podcast, and so they feel like they have to completely hype them up and pump them up, and yeah, guys, go and draft this guy and start him, and the guy's not even active week one, so definitely guys it's it's be water in fantasy it's it's very important to be water like bruce lee says you need to mold to everything and you need to be ever changing uh you need to be able to admit when you're right and wrong i mean that's that's okay to say oh shit i was wrong because there's weird situations like in denver who the hell thought that what's his name uh lindsey Philip Lindsay was going to be the main guy there in that Denver backfield. Nobody knew that. I mean, maybe a one beat reporter or something. But most people in the offseason were saying it's between Devontae Booker and um, Royce Freeman. But Philip Lindsay got 17 touches, and he was really the only contributor. So look for him on the waiver wire, guys. But you have to realize that even though fantasy is a simulation and it's not reality, there's still humans making decisions. And there's still injuries that can happen. And there's still coaches that can believe in certain guys that, you know, Royce Freeman is by far the most talented back there in that Denver locker room but you don't know what if he was late to a team meeting and they don't want to bring it up and so they just give Philip Lindsay uh, the majority of the targets there we don't know these kind of human elements that come into fantasy football but you need to be ever-changing and you have to be able to admit when you're wrong so I wanted to go on um, where I was right and where I was wrong number one where I was wrong I think a lot of us were wrong about this and if you weren't if you were a guy who started Ryan Fitzpatrick week one then good on you because did not see that coming the Buccaneers 
just went into New Orleans, and although the score was 48 to 40, it was not that close. They were dominated, completely dominated, and that defense was a championship defense. I mean, you're talking NFC championship last year, and they just got torn up by a backup, a career backup quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, so I don't know what to say uh, other than New Orleans is not as good as we thought, and Tampa Bay's better than we thought. That NFC South is going to be super interesting because I think all four teams are a lot closer than we thought. I thought it was more of a three-way tie between New Orleans, Carolina, and uh, the Falcons, but the way that uh, New Orleans looked against the Bucks and the way Bucks looked against New Orleans... They're a lot closer, and Carolina didn't look amazing against the Cowboys, but they they won and they dominated the line of scrimmage. But I think this league right here, the NFC South, I mean, the NFC South has has had guys in the Super Bowl, you know, whether it's the Falcons, the Saints, or the Panthers. It's something like in the last 10 years, three out of the last 10 years. Um, so keep an eye on that division to see. I didn't think with Peyton Barber in the backfield. I don't think they need a backfield. The way that Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Deshaun Jackson looked, uh, Fitzpatrick, I mean, he only had, like, he had less than 30 completions. But he had, like, 440 yards because they were all over 50 yards, and he's got these burners in Godwin and Jackson and then he's got that big ass target 6'5 Mike Evans uh, and then not to mention OJ Howard which didn't really show up in that game but um, so let's go where I was right I was right about the Vikings they are my Super Bowl pick I have them coming out of the NFC um, I have them playing the Rams in the NFC championship but I was right about them. I said that Cousins and Diggs had a magical relationship. No homo. But uh, they definitely do have a magical relationship. They look great. They're in sync. Thielen's getting more involved. Dalvin Cook looks good. Latavius Murray looks good. The defense looks good. The kicking looks good. If they can keep healthy, they're probably... They're probably my favorite for the Super Bowl. Um, where I was wrong. Frank Gore. Holy crap. This man is not human. I think a storyline a week one that not a lot of people are going to be talking about, but what we should be talking about is these elder statesmen in these backfields dominating. You have Adrian Peterson in Washington. You have Marshawn Lynch in Oakland. And then you got Frank Gore in Miami. These guys are timeless. I, I know Adrian Peterson is bumped around and didn't do so well with the Saints. Their scheme didn't really fit him, and we should have known that. He's a downhill runner. Uh, he's not this back-and-forth guy like Alvin Kamara. And he's a guy who needs 22 touches in order to really succeed. He's a guy who will have four yards here, three yards there, four yards there, and then 52 yards. 
He's not a guy like Alvin Kamara that's going to have 12 yards per play. But he looks good there in that Washington backfield. And because of that Darius Geis injury, he's really the sole man there with a little bit of Chris Thompson uh, with the third down work. Um, Where I was right. I'm most proud about this, guys, because I was kind of all in. And if you look at most of the fantasy uh, analysts, notes uh, in the preseason and week one, even week one, a lot of people saw Tyreek Hill in the preseason just eating defensive lives and were like, okay, I'm going to move him up my board. But you have to realize the guys at the top in the industry, not going to name any names, the top guys in the industry all told you not to draft Tyreek Hill as high as he was going. And he was only really going as like the wide receiver 20. And that's ridiculous. Like, week one, I think he was going as high as wide receiver 10. But he's worth it, guys. He honestly is worth wide receiver one. I don't care what anybody says about Antonio Brown, DeAndre Hopkins. This guy is not a gadget guy. Tyreek Hill is not a gadget player. He is a wide receiver one with gadget plays. He's going to get you a rushing touchdown, a receiving touchdown, and a pump return touchdown more often than than he gets zero touchdowns if that makes any sense this guy is so freakishly gifted people think oh well he's little he's like Tavon Austin he's gonna get five to seven touches a game no he's not he is the feature guy in that off offense even Andy Reid has kind of backed away a little bit from feeding Kareem Hunt like crazy and just saying Mahomes go find Tyreek and this guy, Tyreek the Freak, the Cheetah, he is everything, everyone, uh, all of his teammates has said he is. He said in the offseason they should be the number one offense in the NFL. He believes in himself. I think a lot of people see him and say, oh, he's short and he came from South Alabama. So he's just one of these guys that outworks everybody. He's like a Cole Beasley, which couldn't be further from the truth. He is so talented, so freakishly gifted, and the thing is guys, the only reason he was at South Alabama he was recruited to go play for the Tide down there at Bama but he had a domestic violence issue that kind of knocked his I mean, childhood off track. He was 17, guys. How many of us have made stupid-ass decisions when we were 16, 17? Um, And he got punished for it, big time. Um, And he bounced back from it. He works hard. He loves football, and he just balls out. Uh, one thing I wanted to say about him is he honestly reminds me of on the same boat as Alvin Kamara. They kind of remind me of these guys. If you play Madden and you're on all Madden and you've been playing all Madden for weeks and then you go ahead and you switch up the settings to rookie mode, that's what I feel like. Kamara and Tyreek are doing they are just a step faster a move ahead and they just make it look easy Um, they're totally different players Kamara runs with this smooth style he doesn't even look like he's really trying that hard and Tyreek couldn't be further from the opposite Tyreek is balls to the wall flying I would love to see a sports science episode on Tyreek the Freak. 
and just to see his kind of game speed, I'm pretty sure he's, I mean, probably right up there with Randy Moss, um, shoot, if you're going way, way, way back, I mean, Jerry Rice, not even Jerry Rice was this fast, I mean, I don't know, maybe Deion Sanders, those are the only guys I can really think, I would love to see what they're running in like a 40-yard dash in their pads while they have defenders chasing them, because guys, you can run a fast 40 in tights, but the true measure of speed is when you have a ball in your hands and the whole world's watching and you got that adrenaline going and you're just flying and that's why they call him cheetah um so let's see where i was wrong i was wrong about leonard fournette a lot of these analysts have said to their to their point they've said correctly that leonard fournette breaks down a lot um and then he has certain injuries and you just got to be very wary of that and that happened week one he came up hobble with a hamstring they tried to stretch it out it looks like it's somewhat of just a strain but hamstrings this this time of the year guys are awful Uh, I don't want any part of that sucks because I have so many shares of Leonard Fournette but you know it's 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 just that way when you're an injury prone guy I hope he doesn't have to battle it all season long. I hope it's just precautionary, but it doesn't look like it. Um, and then where I was right, uh, James Conner. I hear a lot of people saying, like, you could throw any guy back behind that Pittsburgh O-line and he could get 160 yards, which is just ludicrous. Um, James Conner is not Le'Veon Bell. I mean, let's be clear. Le'Veon Bell is a once-in-a-generation type talent with the patience, with the explosiveness. Uh, he's just such a talent, but James Conner's a hard worker. He's a grinder. He's a freaking leukemia survivor. Guy was at University of Pittsburgh. During his chemo treatments, he was hitting two-a-days, guys. Like, if you're a football player like I was, two-a-days are so freaking hard on your body and if you're also somebody who has had cancer in their life and seen uh, somebody go through it it seems like everybody who's been you know anybody who's alive has been touched some way by cancer me with my grandmas and um, my uncle but um, that just rips all your soul out and all your energy and this guy was out there doing two-a-days on his chemo days. Like, don't ever question the toughness of James Conner. However, he's not as talented as Le'Veon Bell, let's be real. Once Le'Veon Bell gets back into the lineup, James Conner's value is zero. Zero. But it looks like the Pittsburgh Steelers' official depth chart and roster no longer has him listed listed on there, which tells me that they moved him to some sort of roster exemption. Um, here's here's what it comes down to. Le'Veon Bell can... He can report now or week three or whenever. And 
he can not lose $800,000 a week, which is what he lost last week. But it sounds like the move that they want to do, possibly, is wait till week 10. Week 10 is the official deadline. The thing about Le'Veon Bell that we all know is he wants to be paid as a stealer or he wants to get the hell out. And that is so evident, especially when he says he's going to report last week and he doesn't. Because he saw Todd Gurley get paid $60 million guaranteed and he's going, what the hell? Gurley has one good year and he gets an extension before his contract's even up and I'm still on my rookie deal because I've been freaking franchised every year, which... I mean, $15 million a year, don't complain, right? But this guy's only going to get one more contract, most li- most likely. And I don't think it's going to be from the Steelers. So, this might be a time, uh, maybe wait a week for James Conner, but sell him high. Most of you guys either took him as one of your last round picks, or you picked him up off waivers. Sell him high. If you have Conner... And you can get somebody like Kareem Hunt or Dalvin Cook or Christian McCaffrey, guys that were going at the beginning of the second round, do it. Those guys are going to be week in, week out, uh, workload bosses. And I just, with the uncertainty there, here's the thing, guys. James Conner could get you to the playoffs, but no matter what, no matter what, he is not going to be the guy that pushes you in the playoffs. So, if you are if you have a good enough lineup where you can cut Connor week 10 and just put a guy in off your bench to start and then hopefully get you throughout the playoffs, fine. You drafted really well, but most people who have Connor didn't. And you need to draft him high and something you all... Or not draft him high, sorry. Sell him high. Um, so... Another strategy with this situation is uh, find owners that are selling Le'Veon Bell super low. Find a team that's so frustrated with him that just wants to get rid of him. Most guys who took him took him in the top five overall. I told you guys to stay away from him because of the situation and it came to fruition, but uh, it just isn't good. It's not good when everyone's all the stars aren't playing. Um, we saw that with Aaron Rodgers the other day. When it, when Aaron Rodgers went down, it just was kind of a collective sigh and a kind of anxious moment. But it's it's just better when our stars are playing in you know the greatest game if man ever made. Um, all right. Right, where I was wrong again, um, Michael Crabtree. I think a lot of people didn't think he was going to be able to succeed in Baltimore. It looks like he and John Brown are the main guys there. Um, Willie Sneed, I think he can take away some touches, but Crabtree's good everywhere he goes. Um, pick him up if, if you can. And Joe Flacco, I think he's a better streamer this year than he was. Same with Andy Dalton, that division. Um, I I just think both of those guys are really improved. I think Lamar Jackson kind of put a fire underneath Joe Flacco's ass, and he realized 
he's got some weapons this year that he didn't have last year and uh, yeah Crabtree had a really nice catch out there in the left corner of the end zone I think that him and Flacco can continue to build a relationship and the Ravens look good but then again everyone does against the Bills all right where I was right uh, the Bills being bad I mean I don't have to say much no offensive line Nathan Peterman is your starter LaShawn McCoy going through domestic violence stuff I wouldn't be surprised if McDermott is gone in a couple weeks it's just you don't get rid of Tyrod Taylor and all these players that he just continuing to drop for no reason he gave Corey Coleman a week and then dropped him and the Patriots picked him up sounds like Robert Woods sounds like Chris Hogan sounds like Sammy Watkins if they would have just held on to those guys they'd have the best receiving core in the NFL but they're just not uh, I guess they are just not patient enough for talent or they just don't have a good eye for it but Clay and Benjamin are really the only things that they have going but they don't have a guy who can throw to them I hope Josh Allen can step up but he looks kind of like a deer in the headlights out there so I could see the Bills going 0-16 this year and drafting first next year it's a smart play with your defense if, if you're going to stream your defense to just stream um, the defense that's going against the Bills every week uh, I had the Ravens this week in most of my leagues and I think the final score was 47-3 to but that might be a good strategy. There's, I've always been a fan of streaming defenses. I think matchups are much better than drafting a defense and going with them the whole year. Uh, other than maybe a couple of teams, Jacksonville and the Rams. Oh, let's see where I was right. No, we're on wrong now. Okay, I was wrong about Oakland. I thought that Oakland was going to be better. I think they're still a good team, but I thought Gruden was going to give him a shot in the arm, and while that first half looked real good, and Derek Carr looked good, Marshawn Lynch looked good, the defense looked pretty good, guys, the ghost of Khalil Mack is going to haunt this team all year long, it it just is, that's just the truth to it, it's sad because they really had him there, and I am not, I'm not of the team to believe like what Gruden said, that he didn't want to be there. He just wanted to be paid market value, which is what all these guys want. Not every guy is going to be a David Johnson and just say, okay, and sign the contract. Most of these guys have agents in their ears and family in their ears and saying, come on, you, you know, you're only going to get one or two contracts. Get what your value is at least. So I, I just don't know about Oakland. I think that their defense isn't good enough. While Carr looked good in the first half, the second half, the Rams just totally outplayed them. Wade Phillips is a better D coordinator than John Gurdon is an offensive coordinator. That's just all there is really to it. Uh, I look for the Rams to be Super Bowl contenders this year. I hate to say it, but I think the Raiders are a middle of the road, maybe in 
eight and eight, nine and seven season at the best. Okay, where I was wrong. Oh man, Eric Ebron. Holy cow. He looks like the real deal there in Indianapolis. I know Detroit fans, especially after last night, but I know Detroit fans are not loving this after they took him 11th overall out of UNC. He never really did anything in that offense. That offense has always really been tailored to Calvin Johnson and receivers on the outside. Any sort of inside work is going to Golden Tate, which can you blame it? He's a dynamic receiver. He takes slants to the house, uh, and Ebron just couldn't really shine there, but he looks real good in Indy, and Andrew Luck likes him a lot. And when, especially when T.Y. Hilton is being doubled on the outside and Ebron's just wide open in the middle, he looks good. Uh, one other note from the Oakland game, Jared Cook looks like the real deal, guys. Definitely pick him up and stash him. He he looks rejuvenated. Gruden wants to use him. I think he feels wanted uh, more more than just a blocking tight end. Pick him up. Pick him up along with George Kittle. The two Bay Area tight ends are studs and they're targeted heavily. Pick them up. Okay, and that looks like about it. Uh, one other note of where I was right, toot my own horn, James White. I knew that this uh, this New England Patriots backfield was going to be a mess, like it always is. Bellatrix out there, always causing us pain in the fantasy community. Remember, what was it, I'd say three or four years ago when Steven Ridley was going in the first round? And a lot of people had him on their squad, and he was a talented guy. And I think he fumbled in, like, the second game or something. Fumbled once or twice, and literally Belichick didn't use him for the rest of the season. (laughs) Uh, I just never know what to do with that, and so I like to stay away from the Patriots. But I had a strategy in one of my leagues. I picked up all of the New England Patriots backfield. Uh, It was a case of a PPR league, uh, a lot of rookies in there that were on auto pick and didn't really know what they were doing. And I wanted to implement this strategy just for the simple fact that I know that I can see the starter in the first couple weeks and then drop everybody else. So I think it's pretty evident that James White is the go-to guy there. I think Burkhead's going to be used in the red zone. Now that Jeremy Hill has torn his ACL and is out for the season, Burkhead's going to be used down there in the red zone, but James White is probably going to finish with the most points in that backfield. But there's one little wrench you can throw into this thing, and that is Sony Michelle. I also drafted him in that league because I want to see when he comes back if he's going to be a three-down guy. Um, which that's just not really the Patriots style. So I'm going to hang on to all three of those backs. I believe White will outscore all of them throughout the year, especially in PPR, just because he's out there on third down. He's a reliable receiver, and 
Brady's actually using him in the slot as they would use Edelman. Uh, you can see him split out when Burkhead is in the backfield. He, he, sometimes he's split out as a receiver. So definitely if he's out there on your waiver wire, which there's no way he should be, but he probably is, go pick up James White. Total stud. All right, well, I'm going to wrap up the episode. Guys, pay attention to your waivers. Don't get discouraged if you're 0-1. You still have plenty of time. Um, Think of some trades that you want to make to make your team better. Know who to sell high, sell low on. Um, the, The fantasy championship is never won at the draft. I know that's probably oversaid and over kind of cliche but it's totally true guys you can you can really make some trades that benefits both squads that's the thing is people always think that in fantasy football if you're gonna perform a trade that you have to you know you have to totally trick someone into doing something or you know you have to pick on a beginner and out with them and the thing is guys there could be a squad out there that drafted four straight running backs and they just simply don't need them all they're not going to start them all so they don't need them all and you might be heavy on receiver and they need that you can do one of these trades where you know you're trading a top wide receiver one for a running back one if you need to and it doesn't need to be screwing over the other team or you know pulling one fast on your league it just is a simple case of need. And if you can fill your roster where you're more balanced, you don't want to have all these running backs on the bench uh, when you have these guys you're going to start every week. If you have like a Todd Gurley and a Joe Mixon, then you're going to start them every single week. So there's no real reason to have five running backs on your roster if you are short a receiver. So just stay balanced and throw some trades out there. It's good for the league. It's fun. And um, you guys can, you know, the offer can always be rejected and you can always go to someone else or um, you can always build your team off the waiver wire. So look for people you want to target off the waiver wire, but don't panic, guys. Just because one of your top five picks didn't perform in week one, don't drop them. That's stupid. People lose their fantasy season every year and then someone goes and picks up one of those top five picks top five round picks and puts them on their squad and then just stacks their team and then they wreck everybody that's you don't want to be that guy hang on to your guys Um, and same goes the other way just because your guy performed week one just because a guy got double digits see how he got those double digits I see this this uh, tight end in Seattle that everybody's freaking out about I don't even know his name he was the he's the backup tight end he had over a hundred yards but guys that came on mostly a 66 yard reception and he's an unknown guy with no film no teams even knew who this guy was everybody was preparing for Nick Vanette or Ed Dixon to be that tight end and then some lumberjack comes in there and gets 102 yards and a touchdown and he's going to be picked up in a ton of leagues and started over quality tight ends 
So don't be that guy. Don't overreact. Um, you know, right now I want to drop Nelson Aguilar because I have him in a standard league and he got eight catches for like 34 yards. And in a standard league, that's three points. But you have to see how he got those. He got that off of 10 targets and eight catches. So he's being heavily involved and he's important to that offense while Alshon Jeffrey is gone. So I'll probably start him again. He is much more valuable in a PPR format, but um, that doesn't mean that he's not valuable in standard. It just means he had a different type of week that Falcons defense is tough. So don't overreact, guys. Definitely keep an eye on your waiver wire. And don't panic. Um, Everybody is stealing it at this point. Unless you scored like 30 points, then you're just screwed. Then you might as well just drop half your squad and just figure it out, do some trades. Anyway, guys, um, I will do another episode here in a couple days. Start who's going to get more touches, you know, all that good news. But that's why you got me here, so tune in to the next episode. And enjoy football, guys.